Okay, so again, my no-nonsense introduction to this episode, which is a recording of a workshop I did at the Region 1 convention this weekend, and it doesn't really need a lot of uh, explaining. I'll just say that I did steps 6 and 7, and then a little inside joke uh, that you'll not you won't get unless you were there is that standing next to me um right next to me uh was the uh deaf interpreter so she's uh, signing everything uh that I say and so that's why when you hear me say I want to know the sign for that I'm actually talking to this woman that's signing next to me and then it becomes kind of this joke and then she teaches us the sign I don't want to ruin the joke and then we all start doing the sign Okay, anyway, that's it. Thanks, bye. Yay, me. Um, uh, Yeah, my name's Nicole. I am a sugar addict, bulimic, and compulsive overeater. Before I get started, I want to offer if we could maybe do something a little bit different, which, because I'm going to be much more workshoppy on this to do some six and seven around this. So instead of doing me talk, for 30 minutes and then you come up and share. I was thinking more that it's like I would talk and then we would actually start to do these exercises around specific things that you could shout out like perfectionism, control, blah, blah, blah. And we would do that together as a group. Does that sound okay? I'm seeing a lot of head nod. Okay, so so that's what I'm gonna do. And then maybe where's my, where'd you, oh, there you are (laughs) in front. Um, So why don't, uh, so it's 50 minutes. So why don't we leave 10 minutes in case anyone does want to just come up and share, but for 40 minutes, you know. So just briefly, uh, just as a way of introducing myself, um, I've actually been in recovery uh, since 1993. This OA was not my first 12-step program. I think it was like my fourth. And so I've been um, in here since 1998. Again, thumbnail sketch, 200 pounds, not 200 pounds. There you go. Um, Size 1X, uh, lowest in the rooms, uh, 8, size 8, I'm 5'7", just to give some proportion. Um, That was getting close to a little bit of anorexia, which happens in the rooms, by the way. I've seen a lot of compulsive overeaters lose weight and then get very excited about that and control becomes their disease, and then they become underweight. And I got to, and what saved me from hitting bottom from that was the anorexics in the room. So I I couldn't go into denial about what was happening. So size 10 was like my body weight, and then turned 50, stopped exercising because I got sick. I'm now a 14, I'm happy with it. You know, the other thing is, is this delusion that I'm at, at 50, I'm supposed to maintain my 30-year-old body. That is bullshit, you know. I want to know the sign for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that's just... We're just going to do this. Yeah. You know, this will be our thing now. Our OA thing will be like, let's all just like... No, no, that is bullshit. So I, So now my recovery is about loving the body that I have as an older woman. And, uh, and I'm doing really good at that. I have 
challenging moments. I definitely do. But instead of trying to fix it and make my 50-year-old body a 30-year-old body, now I'm working on loving my body for exactly who I am, which is all I've ever wanted, right? It's just, you know, stop, mom, stop trying to put me on a diet. You know what I mean? Have the magazine, stop trying to tell me that there's something wrong with my body. You know, stop, you know, just the body shaming. So that's the recovery that I'm working on. So anyway, so that's me. But now um, I want to get into my story around six and seven. So I was in OA and I had an OA sponsor and she kind of took me through the OA workbook. Now I know a lot of people um, really relate to that book, that kind of homework, and that just doesn't work for me. So I want to actually sidebar here for a second and say, a lot of amazing speakers I have heard and I just don't identify with their disease. And that's okay. You know what I mean? It's like the way they work the program doesn't work for me. Um, I've also, you know, this happened recently where I was listening to someone and I'm just like, okay, relapse was not a part of her story. I'm like, relapse is a part of my story. Sexual trauma is a part of my story. Shame is a part of my story. Desexualizing my body is a part of my story. So I call myself a heavy hitter and I have a lot of sponsees and they tend to also be heavy hitters, which is eventually we get to the trauma piece. You know, and most of them have had to deal with relapse because in the course of their recovery, that stuff starts to come up. And basically what happens is what happened for me is that my life circumstances got bigger than my concept of a higher power. And that's when food becomes my higher power again. You know, if my life circumstances are bigger than my higher power, my higher power is no longer going to be my solution. So I'm going to go back to what I know. So relapse was a part of my story. And this is when I became, in the rooms, bulimic. And this is when I hit bottom with my sugar addiction. Now here's the grace, is that at the time, so many people in the rooms were eating sugar that it took a number of years. So this was 98. So from 98 to 2006, I was trying to moderate and control something that I could not moderate and control because other people were doing it. You know, they were, and also they were talking about their freedom around like being able to like, oh, now they can have sugar once in a while. So I'm like, well, that's what I want. You know, I want to be an alcoholic who can like have wine with dinner when we go out. You know what I mean? And trust me, and that's a whole nother story. I could totally go into that. Like if there was a sugar addiction panel, I'm like, sign me up, you know, buy my tape. So, um, so anyway, so the point is, is that I finally hit a bottom with it and I had to I personally, this was in San Francisco, I had to find help outside the rooms. And I knew that AA had a yes-no program where it was like no negotiating, no like you can have one drink a week. And so I actually left an OA meeting one time, true story, went to an AA meeting thinking these people will understand me, walked into the room and the very front table was coffee and cookies and cake and ice cream. And I freaked the fuck out and I turned a lot. <laughs> Now here's the grace because I was in other in other program in other programs I was in a 12 step program and this woman was talking and we were already connecting and then I found out she was in AA and I went up to her and I just said I need help can you please sponsor me as if I'm an alcoholic 
And she was like, I don't know what to do. And, and I say this all the time because I hope maybe someday this person will hear this. She said, I don't know. Let me ask my sponsor. And she went and she called her sponsor. And her sponsor said, if you can help that woman, then you help her. And she said, okay. And she didn't know anything about eating disorders. She didn't have any of that. She said, I'm just going to treat you as if you're an alcoholic. I said, that is perfect. And what we did was is we went through the big book, and wherever it said alcohol, we just changed the word to sugar. Lo and behold, she discovered a lot about herself. <laughs> you know? So I ended up being of service to her. Now, physically, she, you wouldn't have been able, you know, she was stunning. You know? But then she realized, like, how she was cross-addicting. So she took me through the steps in the Joe and Charlie big book, you know, I actually, it was pretty hardcore. I've, I now take my sponsees through a sort of hybrid OA, AA way. I mean, like she had me do things that it's like, okay, you do not actually have to beat down my ego. Trust me. You know, it's a, it's a different program. And so I've softened it a little bit. And she had me do six and seven the way that it is in the book, which is, this is not disparaging to AA or anything like that. I'm just like, this is how ineffectual it was for me. She's like, read these two paragraphs. Let's do eight and nine. I'm like, that was six and seven, right? Like, I'm having to do all this work or whatever. I mean, you wouldn't, I had to do a vision board. I mean, I had to do like lists, a timeline. All of a sudden we get to six and seven. It's like, read these two paragraphs, whatever. And so I, I did. And then we got into eight and nine and 10, 11, 12 and blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm of the academic variety. I'm an armchair philosopher, academic teacher. I just research shit on my own. And so I, I kind of felt like something, I was like something, you know? And so I went online, and this was in, you know, mid-2000s, and there were, they're still out there, but there were these great homemade um, web pages where, and there was one where you could click on a step and everyone posted what their homework was what their homework assignment was. And so I scrolled down and I found one and I have to say that, and I did it, and my experience with doing this, six and seven, was as powerful as doing four and five. And so since then, I have been the six and seven girl. Like people call me, what do you do? I, like, I wanna do six and seven. So that's what we're gonna do. So, um, so you know who I am, you know whatever. So for those who have Pencil and paper, you know, get ready. Um, if you don't, you can use, I, I don't carry it around because I have my smartphone and I use the little notepad, you know what I mean, just to like write stuff or make notes. So I'm gonna give you an example of one. So first I'll just tell you what the homework is and then we're gonna go through these together. You know, and if you want, we can actually, you can just stand up and stay, say stuff or if you wanna come up to the microphone or whatever, but we're gonna do this. Okay, and then I got my timekeeper. Okay, so um, step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. It's the principle of willingness, the quality or state of being prepared to do something, readiness. So basically six is, here's, before we get into nuts and bolts, I'm basically, I've done four and five, right? I'm like, wake up call, I'm not the innocent victim, who knew? You know what I mean? Um, you know, instead of saying, what's my part? Because again, my upbringing and everything, sometimes that question is, is like, how am I to blame here? So that kind of question. So over time, I've learned to ask myself, how have I co-created this experience? So in terms of an experience, any experience I have, 
50% of it is, is my part. Like when two people come together, just if you think of it mathematically or chemistry, right, it's, it's two, two parties. So it's like, okay, how have I co-created this experience? So what aspects about myself, you know, or what energies about me are attracting things that, that come to me and then we create this experience, whatever it is. Now, knowing what those are, great. Praying to have them removed is like when we had, when I had my, my sugar in my hand and I was like, you know, please remove this sugar if you can. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And there I am going, please remove it. You know what I mean? So this duality of this like ambivalence, like, no, please remove this sh- sugar, but I can't unclench. Now I'm not going to be able to. So, so what the six is for me is, what am I, why am I clenching? Why am I clenching? Why am I holding on to this? What am I so afraid of? You know what I mean? And so I need to get into a level, a level of awareness, you know, awareness, acceptance, action. So I'm such a control freak. I know that we're supposed to just like be open to God and just be like, God, just take what you want. I'm like, no, that's, that's like 7, 10, 11, and 12. I'm not there yet. I'm still like, you know, I'm just going through the steps. I'm like this, I'm like Linus with the baby blanket. I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, yeah, I get that I'm 30 years old and I'm walking around with a baby blanket, but it's my identity. You know what I mean? It's like, what, and you want to take it from me? Like, I mean, I want you to take it from me because I'm tired of hiding this blanket or explaining it or, you know, just say, oh, it's a shawl. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like I'm tired of all of that. But, but I'm not going to, seven is letting it go, right? I'm not going to let it go. Why? Why am I not going to let it go? So that's what we're going to do here. So, so this part, there are four parts. So from your four-step inventory, create a list of your character defects. This is what I had to do. I had to go through the whole thing and write what all my defects were. And then I had to create a list, and I had to put a hatch mark next to the ones that came up. So that then I sorted it into what are the ones that came up the most. For me, and it's actually not the example that I'll use, but we can do it, it was judgment. Judgment, expectation. Judgment, expectation. You have behaved a certain way. I judge your behavior, and I judge it as wrong, and now I'm self-righteous, you know? I ex- so actually, it's, I expect you to behave a certain way. You don't behave that way. I judge you. I judge you as wrong, self-righteous. That was like number one. Um, so then from that list, then for each one, I have to do a four-part question. A, how does this character defect serve me? B, don't worry, we're going to go through this. B, what am I afraid will happen if this character defect is removed? If the character defect is removed? Mm-hmm. Okay. C, what would I have instead? <clears throat> I.e., what would my life look like without this defect? D, are there any feelings or attitudes you have left that might interfere with becoming, quote, entirely ready? If so, what can you do to let go of these feelings and attitudes? Now, also, just so you know, I have a website, and it has all this stuff on it. I'm just like, I'm like recovery crone. So, I will. 
if I can remember it. Yes. I think it, anyway, I'll look. Someone knows. Could you look that up for me? Okay. What's your oh. name again? Nicole, Nicole Sharkey. Nicole you know, what? yeah. Don't call the press. Just keep it to yourselves. <laughs> yeah. Nicole Sharkey, S-H-A-R-K-E-Y. My phone number is 503-442-2777. And my email address is N-L, as in Lynn, Sharkey, S-H-A-R-K-E-Y, at gmail.com. That's better. If you, if you text an email or me or whatever, I'll just send you the link. It's some tinyearl.com something, but whatever. Anyway, so, um, so 503-442-2777. I text only. Because of how I make myself so available, I would be exhausted. So it's email or text. Repeat the email. N as in Nicole, L as in Lynn, Sharkey, S-H-A-R-K-E-Y, at gmail.com. I'm also going through all my steps and putting them on a podcast. It's recovery crone, pod bean, something like that. Whatever. Anyway, I, I, I love this program. It saved my life. But we don't, that's a different story. It's on the podcast. You can listen to that. Okay, so here's an example. I picked perfectionism because, yeah, you, you know, you get it. You're like, no, what do you, why perfectionism? You know, now she's talking crazy. Okay. Perfectionism. So this character defect serves me because it creates a standard that I can set out to achieve. I want to strive to do excellent work, and having perfectionism drive me elevates the quality of my work. Perfectionism drives me to have a nice home, nice wardrobe, admirable career, etc. So this is how I think perfectionism serves me. You know, it's like it gives me some sort of standard drive. Well, if I didn't have this, you know, I'd be a sloth. I mean, that's like the crazy, you know, thinking or whatever. So what am I afraid will happen? Without this perfectionism driving me, my standards will fall below subpar. I will settle for less than high quality work. I will be judged by others as lazy, inept, or inadequate. I will lose the respect of my peers. Without the drive of achieving higher and higher standards, I will stop trying to achieve anything at all. Are you guys kind of already hearing? The other thing that since I did this, this is my actual um, homework response, but I actually since then I had an experience of, and people who go to my home group with me know this, where around perfectionism that I thought if I was perfect, then I would be safe. I would just be safe. And how I came to this, this is a little bit of an anecdote, is when I found out that Jay-Z cheated on Beyonce. Now, I'm not a popular culture person. I don't keep up with this stuff, so I was like the last person to know. But I was like, Beyonce? You know what I mean? But do you get what I'm saying? Like, you cheated on Beyonce? Like, Beyonce, I mean, I, I saw one of those shirts that said, dealing with inferiority complex that I'm not Beyonce, and I totally laughed. I thought, oh my God, that's so true. And Beyonce was not protected from being hurt. You know what I mean? And so that was like, that was what helped me understand, like, wow, that's what I thought perfectionism would do. If I was perfect, there would be no opportunity for you to critique anything that I did. So it would keep me safe. So that was another, so then striving for it was, I, I, what's that called? I, um, 
mistook striving for, for perfectionism as striving for safety. And I had to understand that I was striving for something that was absolutely unattainable. Like, by definition, we are imperfect beings, and that's who we're meant to be. We're meant to be imperfect. It's what gives us character. It's what gives us, you know, it, it's your kookiness that, that you hate in yourself. I fucking adore. I'm just like, you're the funnest person ever. You know what I mean? And you're criti- And I've actually, I don't know if you've had this experience where you've had people say, oh, I wish I wasn't like this. And you're like, oh my God, I love that about you. You know what I mean? Like, so our perception of ourselves like, if we, if we actually got to correct all the things about ourselves that we want to correct, we'd be the most boring planet ever. Ever. You know? Okay, so that was a sidebar. So, um, all right, so what would I have instead? What would I have without perfectionism driving me? Sleep, for one. Um, my anxiety would calm down. I would stop feeling like I was about to be found out as an imposter. I would stop looking at myself, my body, my life in terms of what's missing or what's wrong that I can fix. I could embrace myself fully without any strings attached, i.e. I'll accept myself as soon as dot dot dot. Do you see what I'm saying? I'll stop doing that. I'll stop saying, well, I'll accept myself as soon as I fixed this part of myself or as soon as, and it doesn't even like, oh, I lost the weight. Oh, I lost the weight. And then it was something else was wrong with me. I didn't have the right job. I didn't have the right boyfriend or girlfriend. I didn't have, you know what I mean? So I'll stop doing that. I'll be like, okay, time out. So are there any feelings or attitudes you have left that might interfere with becoming entirely ready? What can you do to let go of these feelings and attitudes? My fear of being judged. So this is what is um, feelings or attitudes that I have left. Uh, my fear of being judged, which I experience as shame. So if you pass any judgment on me, like, you know, I spilled the salt. Instead of just, like, recognizing that you're discharging your perfectionistic shame onto me, I actually internalize that as, like, I should be someone who never spilled salt. I'm defective. You know what I mean? So, uh, so that's my fear of being judged because... I was so judgmental. So I know what it's like. I, you know what I mean? I, go, I used to go around judging people all the time. So now I know that there are people judging me. So now I'm like, well, I don't want to spill the salt. You know what I mean? I, that means I'm a little clumsy or I'm not in my body or my chakras aren't aligned or like whatever it is. I mean, I've been around all you all. So I know all the different ways that I'm being assessed, right? So... Um, uh, I can strengthen, um, oh, my fear of being judged, which I experience as shame, feels like an obstacle. I can strengthen my connection to my higher power and share, share about this with my God squad. So this answers the question, what can I do to let go of these um, uh, attitudes of not being ready? I can, share with my, I can strengthen my connection to my higher power and share about this with my God squad. I know from experience that when I start talking about my fears at a group level and with my fellows, they start to dissipate. So this is what's really important. Um, I want, we'll do one more. I, I do want to get to seven, but I want to talk about this. Knowing, so doing six and seven, again, just like four, you have to share it. You know what I mean? It's, so empathy is the antidote to shame. You know, addiction is about shame. That's, you know, that's the core of addiction. 
Addiction is shame, which then induces fear. And then basically, in order to deal with these feelings, we turn to a thing instead of a person. And now we become, we find a solution there that works at first. And now we become obsessed with that. And now we develop an OCD, an obsessive compulsive behavior. So that's, so my experience is in order to heal at a core level from this disease and stop cross addicting, I had to deal with the shame. The, the antidote for shame is empathy. The only way I can get empathy is if I share it with someone who says, in the words of Annie Lamont, me too. I belong to the church of me too. That's what we're all doing here. That's when you nod, that's when you whatever is like, me too. You know, that's it. And as soon as you do that, I know that it's like, I am not defective broken. I may, my story may tell me that, but it's like, well, if, but if every item on the shelf has cracks in it, then I guess they're not defective broken. I think that's just how we're supposed to come, you know? And I've heard that there are cultures that love that shit. You know what I mean? They like cracks. I mean, seriously, like pottery, whatever, when there are cracks, they actually fill it with gold filling because they think it's like the thing that makes that thing the most unique. And we need to really adopt that. So um, you can fact check me on that, but I know I'm right. <laughs> I mean, I know I didn't make that up. I know I read an article on that. Um, but anyway, so before we do one more, I just want to get to the seven piece. Um, yeah, and I, I had to do the seven step, whatever, you know, my creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me. I'm not, because we're running out on time. And what I had to do is for each, my creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, the good and the bad. I pray that you now remove from me from every single defect of character. And I had to say what the defects were. And I had to do that for 21 days. Now here's my experience around six and seven. I am not going to be able to let go of a behavior until I forgive myself for it. Here's how God works in my life. I'm actually pagan Buddhist, but in the rooms, good orderly direction. I personally like group of dames. You know, <laughs> sorry, dude, but you know, <laughs> you're, you're an honorary dame. Um, so it's like, all right, how I will see it. I will see a characteristic of, of mine in someone else. Now, here's how I know this. That person is irritating me. You know what I mean? I'm like, this person is irritating me because they are reflecting back to me a behavior that I do not want to admit that I have. Now, here's the thing to be fair. Some people have it really big. You know what I mean? So I'm like, so I've had to learn like, like, you know, I'm not that bad. Okay, it's true, I may not be that bad, but I still have that, you know what I mean? And so it's the people in the rooms that I actually don't want to talk to or don't want to whatever that I'm like, okay, you are reflecting a character defect back to me that I am ashamed that I have. And so I'm rejecting you and angry at you because I'm actually pissed at myself that I actually have this. And I don't want anyone to know that I have this. So I'm totally in a state of denial. So this person helps me because I have to offer myself compassion. You know what I mean? Like, can I forgive myself that I behaved this way? Can, and until I do that, I will not let that behavior go. Now here's how I know I've let it go. 
I will then run into that person or someone just like that person who has that behavior and I will not react to it. I will still see them as a, as a human being and I will stay connected to them on a heart-to-heart -heart level. I will recognize and just be like, oh yeah, I used to do that too. I used to do that too. You know, and if, and if you keep working the program, you may let that go, but it doesn't matter if you do or not, I'm gonna stop judging you for it. You know, I'm just like, I'm gonna recognize that it's like, yeah, that's an intense fear-based behavior, shame, fear-based behavior that was really hard for me to let go of too. Now, it doesn't mean I'm gonna go out and be friends with that person, you know what I mean? But, you know, because they may not be safe, but I will stop being um, anti that person. All right, we got 10 minutes. So I want to, um, I was thinking, I was gonna offer the floor, but how do you feel about, uh, let's pick one that, so now I wanna go and do a character, uh, a, a character defect. So let's throw out some ideas. Judge Judgment I was gonna do, resentment? Okay. Self-righteousness Self is a good one. Fear. Fear. Control. Okay, I, we don't have time for all of that. <laughs> so, um, okay. Let's see, self-righteous, judge, well, judgment, self-righteous, fear, control. How about control? Because fear's in all of that, right? Okay, so now we're gonna do this together, okay? So, how does control serve me? From the floor. You can be self-righteous. It makes you feel empowered. It's a sense of safety. So I hope you guys are taking notes. What else? Done my way. Done my way, which is a sense of safety. You know? How else does control serve you? Keeps me safe. It keeps you safe. Yep. It helps you uh, just control outcomes. We're not really able to do that. It, it gives you the false sense that you can control an outcome. That you can make reality happen the way that you want it to happen. Yeah. If everybody else behaves predictably, then I can be crazy. If everybody else behaves predictably, then I can be crazy. You know, I can relax and just whatever. No, I don't have to look at myself. I don't have to look at myself. If I'm in control of everything, I don't have to look at myself. I get what I want because no one else will get it. I'll get what I want because no one else will give it to me. I'll get what I want because no one else will give it to me. How about this one? I don't have to rely on God. <laughs> she said oh crap <laughs> I nailed her um, yeah like I don't have to if I'm in control no space for higher power I'm self-reliant now a lot of us grew up in dysfunctional crazy homes where I learned that the only way to survive was I realized like I'm alone in this I, I can only rely on myself so the more that I am um, you know self-reliant the better it is. And then I come into these rooms and you tell me to rely on a higher power and I'm like, huh? I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do that up to a certain point, but I'm negotiating it the entire time. So I'm still controlling like what I'm gonna let, con let control of. So I'm not really gonna surrender until I do this. Now I wanna say for people in the rooms, um, I do not believe in an ethical deity. I'm not saying that there isn't one. I'm just saying that I don't believe in that. Because of that issue, and because my head will churn on it, I have to let that go. I just have to, like, the only higher power I need is this program of recovery. 
Otherwise, I will get into debates about whether or not a God can work in my life. I'm like, okay, that, because of that, I ended up in a second relapse in 2014, having a total, you know, spiritual existential crisis. And that's when I realized I have to let that question go. I just have to recognize that there is a power greater than myself in this fellowship. And when we come together, we create a collective consciousness and a divine source of energy that I can tap into. And it's powerful enough that, I, that it frees me from the obsession. It, it heals my shame. It alleviates my fear. And then I no longer turn to the food. That's enough. Now, I still love to explore theology and, and spirituality and have those kind of conversations, but I'm very clear on not putting the solution of that question and not tying that to whether I'm going to compulsively eat today. I keep that like, no, I have enough. I have enough higher power here to keep me compulsively, uh, to keep me from compulsively doing anything, actually. Okay? So now, what am I afraid will happen if I surrender control? And let me hear your fears. What are you afraid is going to happen if you're no longer in control? Anxiety. Anxiety? Lose my identity. identity. Oh, that's a good one. Shit hits the fan. I'll discover I can't control anything and nothing's controlled. I'll discover, listen, this is a good one. I'll discover I can't control anything and nothing is controllable. Welcome to the truth. (laughs) What am I going to do with myself? What am I going to do with myself? I won't make any decisions. I won't make any decisions. I'll be hurt. I'll be hurt. Everything will fall apart. People won't like me anymore. There's a lot of good reasons to hold on to this, right? So there's a lot of empathy happening, okay? So now let's get to, but what would I have instead? If I stopped turning over, here's what it's like. Whether we're parents or not, we've seen little kids in those carts with the little steering wheel, you know, and they're going like this and they think they're actually driving that thing, right? It's so true, right? Like they think they're driving that thing. It's really cute when you're four. It's not so cute when you're 40, right? So again, because again, the stress, right? The stress. I have to tell you, I understand this. The reality that we cannot control anything is very terrifying, okay? But this is where the power of 12-step and other spiritual communities, where it's like, hey guys, guess what I just found out? We can't control anything. Like, oh my God, and I'm stuck on this planet with all of you. You know what I mean? And you can be very mean to me. How about we do this? How about we agree to be kind to each other? How about we do that? Can we all just agree to do that and then just try our best at doing that? And then maybe I'll feel a little bit safer. And then when we go out in the world and realize like no one else signed that charter, we can come back, you know what I mean? And be like, you aren't gonna believe what I did, what I had to deal with today. And it's like, oh my God, yeah, totally. Yeah, people are not signing the, char- the charter. I call it being on the love team. I grew up on the fear team, might makes right. The solution is more power. And in recovery, I learned how to play for the love team. 
what is best for the team is what actually is best for me. And having to trust that. It's so easy to say. It's so easy to say. But when you're afraid of not getting what you want or losing what you have, and suddenly you have to agree that the main agenda is what's best for the team and trust that the team is going to then take care of you, when you're an adult child of two alcoholics and a trauma survivor, and you're like, no authorities ever took care of me, and you're like, yeah, but this is a true example of egalitarianism, and you have a voice here, and you get to speak up, and you get to be empowered here, and you need to practice like, you know, being on the love team, you will slowly discover through having sponsors and partners in recovery and whatever, you will witness them being taken care of by the team. And then that will begin to give you a sense of like, maybe this will work for you too. And you'll take little tiny steps. And so you'll take your little Linus blanket and you'll peel off a piece of it and you'll give it away. And your blanket will get smaller and smaller as your fellowship get stronger and stronger that's how it works so again someone said it earlier the point of this conference is not these workshops the point of this conference is for us, for us to meet and get numbers and get connected and become a part of this I recommend I strongly urge you to stop attending meetings join OA Join OA. Meetings are a part of it. This is not college. This is not community. This is not adult school, where you go and you take a class, and you have classmates, and it's like, oh, you're interested in the same subject. That's great. And then you leave, <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah, she's wonderful. I talked to her at class. No. No, we have a disease that we know is killing us. This disease has taken my entire family. I'm very grateful my mother has 13 years in AA, and that's a blessing, but that's not a guarantee. Okay? So, before we go, are there any feelings or attitudes you have that might interfere with becoming entirely ready, aside from fear? Right? It pretty much comes down to fear. Stubbornness. Which is fear. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, the opposite of fear is faith. Okay? People say fear and faith can't live in the same house together. That's not my experience. Fear and faith totally live in my house together. You know? And it's about what do I choose to focus on? Uh, because of the trauma, I have PTSD. I live with um, fear on a constant basis. I have learned how to live with it. I have learned how to redirect my thoughts to faith, to support, to whatever. And I call it like, okay, thank you for sharing. Fear's taking the mic. I'm like, all right, you get your three minutes. They, it, it doesn't get three minutes anymore. But it re it's like I interrupt the thought, and I'm like, I say, thank you for sharing. Does faith have anything? I actually call it the queen of judgment and the queen of compassion and the shame hag. It's all in my whatever. Shame hag starts talking. Queen of judgment starts talking. I'm like, thank you for sharing. What does the queen of compassion have that she would like to share? And I start listening to the queen of compassion. And if I can't hear it, I make a call. I need someone to be the voice of compassion in my head today. Okay, so time is up. Thank you for letting me share, and you've been an awesome group. Thank you.